Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 14, Soothing Texts, What Not to Text. August 7th, Day 3. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Our 13-year-old son, Dutch, called me in the afternoon from camp on Mr. Lepler's phone. I broke the bad news to him, Archer had pneumonia, that everyone was with him and that only time, good medical care, and prayers were going to help. I asked him to get his camp friends to say some prayers but I realized he, like I, had no frame of reference for what a broken neck was or meant. Yep, just in the space of a couple hours, the last round of chest x-rays showed that Archer had developed pneumonia. Oh, my Lord. All that filled my ears was what Dr. Radcliffe told us yesterday in the family meeting. I located the real-time audio recording of this meeting. Here is an excerpt. When do we start meeting up? Well, it's starting now. I mean, he's, you know, like right now, like, like they're, they're trying to get his, make sure that he's breathing well enough to pull the, the ventilator out. They do some kind of like exercises to clean the, clean the lungs out. You, you'll see they, they kind of focus on coughing and moving secretions and all that stuff. Um, you know, they're, they're, we're, we're trying to kind of wake him up and, and he's much more awake today than yesterday. So, I mean, it's, it's baby steps. It's not like what you would think, you know, where, you know, he's kind of, um, lifting weights in the gym. I mean, we would love it if he could, but, but, and there may be a point for that, but for now it's, it's, it's really basic things. So with the ventilator. My understanding is that it comes out when three conditions. I'm trying to put it together. That yeah, I'm not the expert in that. Um, I don't do ventilators, so I don't actually know what the criteria are. But I mean, I have this like really basic knowledge that you have to be able to pull in a certain amount of air, and I have no idea what the number is. You have to be able to breathe a certain number of times per minute on your own. And, um, and then, you know, if you can't have any like obvious pneumonia or something really, really terrible. So, um, so that's, uh, um, so that's like the, kind of the criteria, I think. It all felt too much. I didn't understand. He was the surgeon. He said it was unlikely. How could this happen? Yes, Archer was labored in his breathing, but he seemed so calm. 
Dr. Radcliffe had said he'd be fine unless something really horrible happens, like pneumonia. But he said it sort of glibly. I didn't understand. Pneumonia? What did this mean? I mean, what did pneumonia have to do with a broken neck? I just didn't understand. And I was really scared. I was scared about all the radiation every four hours into Archer's body, too. I had read about radiation from x-rays over the years and have avoided x-rays as much as possible with my children. Everything was happening so fast. I had just texted my siblings about the collapsed lungs. Things change so fast around here. Why is this happening to Archer? He had a broken neck. What makes pneumonia? How do you get pneumonia? He looks fine. He hasn't been coughing or anything. It just didn't make sense to me. I needed information. I hoped Dr. Radcliffe would return today, as he said he would when I asked. I wondered when that would be. I had so many questions. I asked every nurse coming into Archer's room about the pneumonia. A couple of them told me I needed to ask the doctor. And I said, which doctor? And they said, the pulmonologist. But another nurse told me I needed to ask the radiologist. Why can't they just tell me? I also asked every medical person who came in. May I help? I mean, what can I do? I needed to learn. I wanted to know what I could watch for so I could know for my son. Could they at least please explain to me what this means and what I can be on the lookout for to know when he's getting better or worse? A couple nurses said, it was just a matter of time. But I finally did learn that it was fluid in his lungs that made them collapse. I didn't get that either, though. And that is what caused the pneumonia? I still don't know what it meant. Just that Dr. Radcliffe had said something terrible like pneumonia. I scanned the chest tubes jammed into Archer's sides and ran my eyes down the tubes that went into the collection chamber. I concentrated very hard, and I watched the accumulation of moisture, tiny bloody droplets that sort of clung to the tube like little Casper the Friendly Ghost, plump and wishy-washy but stubbornly clinging to the sides, not willing to drop into the fluid collectors attached to the machines. When they finally detached themselves, it was painful waiting to see any accumulation. <laughs> I was reminded of my grams when we were kids growing up, waiting for her yeast rolls to rise. It seemed, she'd say, as slow as molasses in January. 
It was a common expression for us in the Midwest as we anticipated spring from months of deep freeze. But my grandmother used that expression for other reasons as well. And I felt the same painful waiting as I sat bedside. Oh, my Lord, how long would it be before we got the fluid out of Archer's lungs? And how do I know how much is even in there? Oh, Archer, my darling, I am so sorry. His eyes were closed. I felt helpless. I reached for my phone in my pocket. My brother, Will Phipps, in New York, in his high racing season with the horses, had texted me, sending you so much love. I can move back to your house mid-September to December to help if needed. XO. I couldn't imagine how he could do that with all of his work. And I couldn't imagine that we would even need that. But it meant a lot to me that he offered. Oh, my sister-in-law, Susan Smith, also texted me. Whatever you need, we are here. Just call. That meant a lot, too. I knew Sue meant it. Our relationship has just gotten deeper and deeper over the years as we both have been willing to be more vulnerable. And I felt like I could call her if I needed to. Oh, I'm so grateful for my sister, Elizabeth Sanborn from Bethesda, Maryland, who is already here. When she texted me yesterday that she would be here on a dime, she was. Drove four hours. That meant so much. Oh, I expect her to be back here soon after holding down the fort at home this morning for me. I wondered how everyone else was doing. I wondered about Billy. Oh, my other sister, Lillian Johnston, a teacher in Chicago with her little girls and a new baby texted me. I am coming. I couldn't believe it. She said, my friend is paying for my ticket. I will be there soon. I love you. Oh my gosh, Lil, that is not necessary. And there's no way you can do that, leaving the girls and the baby. Really? With Ben working the night shift? There's just no way. I don't expect that, honest. But I sure appreciate that you want to. I truly do. It was incredible. I know it was family, you might say, and we might expect that from our families. But that's not exactly how it was for me. I didn't have an expectation, really. My family was in trouble, and I just reached out spontaneously. I didn't think about doing it or not doing it. I just put all their names in a group text and sent it. And it felt rather amazing how they were responding. It really did. While my head was swirling with unanswered questions and the latest development of Archer's pneumonia, 
I watched, and the bloody fluid was filling up the plastic measuring containers on both machines. I felt some relief. I also felt some pressure about all that I had to learn and do. I thought about my brothers and sisters again. I honestly expected nothing really about coming because they were all far away and it would be expensive in every way for them to come. But their texts brought me such a sense of ease that they would or could if I needed it. It sort of surprised me. It was so comforting how easy it was, how natural it all felt to reach out to my siblings and that they reached back and I could hear their love in their texts. I sort of had this kind of weird, momentary, out-of-body experience just watching myself, watching Archer's collection containers, and also feeling peaceful. I had a momentary feeling that everything would be all right. Oh, I heard an alarm out in the hallway and it broke my trance. I got back to my phone and returned their texts asking them, please continue to pray and storm heaven. It's funny, you know. I had wondered before about my friends if they would pray, as I really didn't know with many of them even very good friends, if prayer was, you know, part of their thing. And I guess the same was true with my siblings. I mean, I know they believe in God, and all their kids have been baptized, Catholic. But we've lived in different states since we graduated college and got married. And while we've stayed connected, and our mom was good about keeping us connected for the busiest years, Prayer has not really been a topic of our conversation either. <laughs> I mean, we've always joked a little about our Aunt Margie and how way out there it seemed she was with prayer. But we always loved her and respected her. She was, after all, a former Catholic nun. But I really didn't know. But whether they did or not, what I found comforting were their words of love and connection. I knew they were deeply concerned. And I knew in every respect that Archer and our family were not alone. And as I stared at the accumulation chambers and the droplets, that feeling really stirred in me. I looked at my phone again. Kathy Boyne had returned my text about physical therapy options in Baltimore, telling me some places to call. Oh, and there was a text. Oh, from my friend Robin Cameron, asking if I had a picture of Archer for her congregation in Sedona so they could, she said, see him and pray for him. You know? It was another little epiphany for me. Yes, if we are all going to be in this together, 
with specific prayer intentions for Archer, it certainly does help to see the person, doesn't it? And I did have a picture. Our whole family, all seven of us, had just returned. Oh, my Lord, it's so hard to believe it was just a week ago from driving back from Illinois, where we had gathered with all my siblings and all their kids for an 80th birthday party picnic for my mom at Lake Springfield. You know, I'd like to tell you it was a big surprise for her, but our mom has Alzheimer's. So, well, we did take a lot of pictures and Archer and my mom share July birthdays. His on the 20th, hers on the 23rd. So I had a really nice one of the two of them. Archer with his arm draped around her shoulders on the front porch of her bungalow with the porch swing. He wearing his birthday present from us, a new shirt with the patch pocket that he loved and his cherished sunglasses, the ones he bought with his earnings from the beach club. I texted that one. And then I found another that I also texted to her. It was of Archer not wearing his sunglasses. So you could see his eyes and complete face. In that picture, he had his arm around my Aunt Margie. He was wearing one of his favorite t-shirts, a bright yellow one, and his favorite baseball cap. And those Ray-Ban sunglasses that he coveted and took very good care of were perched on top of his baseball cap. Robin texted me back. Do you have one of just Archer? I didn't. But I enlarged the one of him in his yellow shirt, took a screenshot, cropped it, and sent it back to her. She replied with a thumbs up. You know, I thought about her request. If there is someone you want to pray for regularly, a friend, a family member, or even someone you've just adopted because a friend asked you to pray, or even someone far away whose tragedy you read about in the newspaper and were moved to say a prayer for them, you might consider getting a picture of them. You can put it where you can see it every day, like on your bathroom mirror, just to keep them in mind daily during their tough times as you say your favorite prayer with a specific intention for them. I was so comforted knowing that Archer's picture would be in the hands of many of my friend Robin's friends, and they would look at him and pray for him. I don't know why I feel this way, <laughs> but I do. You see, I think the more emotional connection we have to each other, the stronger our prayers, the stronger our relationships, the better our health, the stronger our lives, the more goodness we share in the world, the more goodness we put out to the world. To this day, 
when I pray for big things like social justice or peace in the world, I try to bring to mind a picture of someone in particular who moves my heart and I send my prayer for them, even if I don't know them personally or have never met them. It makes it a prayer from the heart and not just from the lips. I just love that Robin asked me for a picture so that her congregation could see Archer. It's like a name. You know what I mean? So personal. And a photo with a name? Oof, that makes a prayer very personal. It's intimate, isn't it? I love prayer. I know God hears every single request from every single person. You know how people will say, just put it out to the universe? I mean, you might be one of those people. Well, I believe when we put a request out, the universe does respond because the universe is God's creation. Everything in it. Yes, the universe responds for God. What would we do without all the angels and saints and spirits to help us along? Please give Archer strength. Please help his lungs to empty. And please guide me. I tried to respond to calls. There were so many from people I was supposed to be calling, like the medical insurance representative. Oh, it turns out it was a good idea. I called yesterday, thank goodness, to let our insurance company know because they have now assigned someone to us for, quote, catastrophic coverage, end quote. When I called and the lady told me that, I sort of had a little stutter, like catastrophic. And I wasn't sure if that meant we would get some extra help or if they would drop us. And I felt a little unsettled. I didn't like that I felt so suspicious, but I did. I had to answer what felt like an hour of questions over the phone. More questions. It seemed like it took forever. Many I did not have the answer to. A lot had to do with diagnosis. The lady told me I would need to report to her daily. Okay. I wondered, are you going to help us or are you going to be against us? I just couldn't tell. A lot of her questions indicated to me that they were calculating costs. Questions like estimated days, what the doctors have told me, when we arrived in the trauma unit, the quality of Archer's health before the accident. It was a lot. I just wanted to do it right so that Archer got everything he needed to get better. Oh, Gosh, I need to call my office staff, my poor office staff. The kids told me when they arrived that my team had called Billy and asked if they should ship a box of my mediation files to me. I honestly 
wasn't sure when I'd be able to look at them. I then opened my phone again to look at my emails. Oh, there have been so many texts. I haven't even looked at emails for three days. Oh my gosh. There were all these emails from our book publisher. Did I tell you that Billy and I wrote a book? Yeah, it took us three years of writing. It's called Being Relational, The Seven Ways to Quality Interaction and Lasting Change. We were over the moon excited about it. Yep, those three years of writing, we sent it around to publishers, and the same publisher as the Chicken Soup for the Soul had called us, and they told us last year they wanted to represent us. And after about 10 months of going through our manuscript and then doing all that a publisher does with typesetting and book jacket design, I mean, I learned about all kinds of stuff. The Library of Congress, EBN number, callouts, copy editing, all the stuff publishers do. It was set to launch in just three weeks on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores, September one. Oh my gosh, I felt terrible about it, but I just couldn't think about that right now. I needed to get back to calling the places for Archer's rehab. One of those doctors had said, we might be out of here in 10 days to two weeks. I don't understand that though. I mean, how can that be possible with a collapsed lung and now two collapsed lungs? And now pneumonia. But that is what he said. I felt so much pressure. I needed to get on a computer and make the calls and find a place in Baltimore for Archer's rehabilitation. And time was ticking. And my phone was blowing up again with more texts. I love the texts from my friends, especially when they sent light messages. Like, here's one from Chrissy Diffenderfer in Baltimore. And she says, I'm here for you in any way you need, exclamation point. I love you. I could hear her schoolgirl voice. Oh, Chrissy, thank you. And our friends, Nan Heller and Robert Gunn in California, who over the years have even come all the way across the country to visit us in Cape May, they texted, Dear Louise and Billy, we are praying for Archer's full recovery along with strength and guidance for your whole family. <laughs> Thank you, Nan. It's like you knew... Her text continued, Robert and I are so sorry. Oh, Nan, I am too. I could feel the hot stinging in my nose of the tears being held back. Her text continued, when you want to talk, we are available at any time day or night. 
We will continue to pray for his body to thoroughly heal. Please give Archer our love and give the whole family our love. We are with you all in spirit. We love you. I love you, Nan and Robert. <laughs> I think of how you had all seven of us in your home on our one big family trip to California. You are so kind and were so kind to us. Oh my gosh. There was a text from our friend, Jordy Maine from Philadelphia. Jordy was Billy's childhood friend growing up next door to each other as they spent summers in Cape May. He texted, Hey, Louise, tracking all information and can't imagine all you guys are going through. Please take us up on rooms and meals as it is what friends do and what you would do for us. So many people providing all their support, exclamation, exclamation, lots of love, exclamation, exclamation, love you guys, exclamation, Jordy and Deb. I could hear Jordy's big as life voice in his exclamation points, and I felt his love. I was aware, though, of feeling weary. I wondered how my children were holding up. In many ways, the texts were a saving grace, and I was so very grateful for other people. I was thankful for relationships. One of our priest friends, Father Lou Bianco, texted me, Louise, I am offering a mass for Archer today. I was really comforted by that. A priest saying a mass for us felt very special. Another text was from my friend Mike Skinner in Baltimore. Mike and I are both Midwesterners, and I always resonated with his down-to-earth warmth. He texted, Louise, I just learned of Archer's accident. I am praying for him and for you and Bill and your family. Please let me know if there is anything, and he wrote anything in all caps, A-N-Y-T-H-I-N-G, we can do for you. You are all in our thoughts and prayers. God bless. Mike and Christy Skinner. Thank you. Thank you all for these kindnesses. What they all said was so soothing, loving, supportive. Their texts put me at ease. I didn't have to say anything back. <laughs> they didn't ask me any questions or ask for any updates. They just sent their love and their prayers. Thank you. But as I looked at my other phone messages, 
And I swear there were like a dozen phone calls from our book publicist. Oh my gosh, the publicist in Austin, Texas made my stomach lurch. I hadn't even thought about that. There's just no way we could be available for radio talks and book signings and whatever else we were supposed to be doing with the new book. It's all so new to us, but there's just no way. And we were locked into a contract. I felt sick. Oh my gosh. I checked my calendar. Oh, last night. Oh my goodness. It was the meeting for parents at Loyola University for our son, Dewey. Oh, Dewey, sweetheart. I'm so sorry we were not there for you just as you're starting. I guess you must have driven all the way there for us and then all the way back to Cape May. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. And you never even said a word. You are such a good kid. I texted Billy. Loyola presentation last night. We missed it. You getting information or should I? Did we notify them we wouldn't be there? I didn't. And then there were all these texts that I honestly could not respond to. They were from well-wishers, but they were texts that were full of questions like, Hi there, I heard, what happened? Or, hi, how is Archer? Or, hi, how are you? And even, hi, did you get any sleep last night? And there were even a few people sending texts that started with, you should do blah, 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 blah. I knew they all meant well. I did. They just had no idea of what it was like in here with these monitors and constant sounds and things happening so quickly and changing so quickly and medical personnel in and out doing things I needed to pay attention to and learn about. It was all foreign here. I just felt like I was on a roller coaster that wouldn't stop. And those texts had big open questions and chit chat questions. How am I? Texts that contain questions like that added to my stress because I wanted to respond out of courtesy and knowing they cared, but it was just too much. Remember Mary Lou Healy, whom you've already met? Well, she experienced it too when her husband had a heart attack and was in the intensive care unit. I was just focusing on every tiny little detail that was happening. It takes all of our human capacity to focus. Right, right. I mean, there are things, as I know you experienced this too, it kind of was a blur for me. <laughs> And, um, but, but it's true. It's like, there's just way too many things happening that you just, you know, you know, I, I think what something else that's just coming up for me, mom to mom is what can be so helpful. I think for others outside of the person 
who is experiencing the, the, the trauma and the impact of trauma is to know how, how that a lot of questions just don't help. And even the, you know, hi, how are you? Or how, how's it going? Or did things change or whatever? It's just too much. Right. As as opposed to the, you know, may may we come in and see him or, or we're we're praying now, or, I mean, it's just such a different thing than being pelted with, how are you? Or or did you send this? Or did you get my mail? Or, you know, we're sending something to, did did you receive it yet? Yeah. Stop asking questions. Right. Yeah. But from the other side of the equation, I get it. What to say or text to someone in a crisis situation can be tricky. And I love these people and I know they all mean well. They just don't know what it's like here. But I've been thinking about it. I've since learned more about the trauma experience for anyone, it's virtually impossible for the brain to function in the same way that it normally can and does. There isn't the bandwidth because the emotional intensity is expended on the highs and the lows, yo-yoing. It's been helpful for me to understand that now, but I remember then reading those texts and wondering, how often I may have sent the wrong text or not used the best words with another person when they were in crisis, especially when it was something very serious, a big loss. I will never forget the time someone very close to me lost a baby in childbirth. Oh, it was so deeply sad and painful. I was with her when the baby was born, stillbirth. Her little baby girl had Down syndrome and had died in utero, and she knew that when she gave birth. In the days afterwards, someone had written her a lovely condolence card saying she was sorry for her loss, but then added that it was a blessing Oh, that cut. No, my friend and her husband would have loved to have had a baby with Down syndrome. In fact, they had been put through a meat grinder by medical staff pressuring her to abort once they learned their baby had Down syndrome. And that pressure by doctors had caused great amounts of anguish and strife for them, their marriage, and stress on her pregnancy. They very much wanted that baby. It was not a blessing that they lost her. You know, I wondered if I myself have ever said or written to anyone who is suffering the loss of a loved one, whether they were disabled in some way or were themselves suffering in life, or even if they had lived a long life and had been suffering, that the passing or death of their loved one was a blessing. 
if I ever did, I am deeply sorry. I hope you will forgive me. I learned that with my dear friend. It is not for us to say to someone else that their suffering is a blessing or that their loss is ever a blessing. No suffering is a blessing. It isn't. God never wants us to suffer. Suffering happens in a fractured, imperfect human world. God's grace and Holy Spirit give us the ability to choose how to respond to that suffering in ways that will restore us and allow us to live fully and joyfully again with others. The blessing is the transformation of our wounded hearts. The blessing is the grace in our lives that helps us live through our sufferings and come out on the other side, hopefully not broken. And even that can only be determined through time and by the choices we make to face and walk through our suffering and deep loss on new pathways that integrate those sufferings and allow us to discover or make new meanings from them in our lives. So I think both what to text as well as what not to text to those in crisis and suffering great loss can be summed up in one guideline. Whatever you say or text and whatever I say, say it for the other's benefit, not yours. Put yourself in their shoes, not the shoes you think they should be wearing, but their shoes. And whatever you say, let it come from your heart and not your head and guard against your ego. Join with them in their sorrow and just let them know you are there. So for instance, a text message that says, <laughs> is there anything you need? might be well-intended, but it really demands a substantive response. Yes, no, or yes, blah, 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 or yes, but with a frustration that you could never provide what I need. It's not helpful. Now, you may not have thought of it that way before, but it just causes work for the recipient. And at a time when energy is a precious resource. Whereas <laughs> a text that says, if there is anything that you need or anything I can get for you, please let me know. Is so gracious and loving. It conveys, I am here if you need anything. 
And all the recipient has to say is thank you or nothing at all. It demands nothing. And a text like the one from my college friend, Rose Dare in Virginia, who said, I have thought about Archer and you and Billy all day. I have said multiple prayers and will continue to do so. If you need help with anything at all, I hope you know that I would drop everything and come to Baltimore or wherever you are to help you. I mean that with all my heart. Love you so much. That is a real pick-me-up kind of text. When someone says that, or you read that in a text, it just makes you feel warm and loved. And even momentarily, like everything's going to be all right. And a text that says, I will do anything you need, or if anything is capitalized in a text, (laughs) those are rare types of generosity. And Billy and I had many friends in the rare category of huge generosity with big, loving hearts. The words in these texts were a true gift for someone in trauma. They not only brought ease and reduced stress, they even prompted a little smile in the midst of a world turned upside down. Friends are such a blessing. Oh, as I tried to respond as best I could to many, (laughs) there just wasn't enough time. James Schmucker from Cape May had texted me that he was on his way up. Friends from Baltimore had texted me they were coming tomorrow, and I sent directions. I texted Paula to see if she could make sure our dog and cat were okay when she went back to Baltimore. I mean, I knew she was just next door, but I didn't want to forget. And I wasn't sure when she was going back for work. I texted Danny G to see if he had found Archer's Ray-Bans, as I knew he would want them. That picture had reminded me. I just couldn't think of everything else, though. Oh, and I was tired of being in the family waiting room. I just wanted to be with Archer. A text came in from Paula. Doctor is here. I'd asked the kids to make sure I didn't miss any doctor. Oh, thank you, darling. I stood up quickly to head back to Archer's room. As I raced down the hall, a man in blue scrubs was exiting Archer's room. Mrs. Sims, he said. Semft, I said. Mrs. Semft. Yes. I think he was one of the pulmonologists. We will need you to fill out the consent forms, he said. Consent forms, I asked. Yes, he said. We need to perform another procedure on your son and we'll need your consent. Another procedure? What kind of procedure, I asked. I left the forms with your daughter, he said. Life can change in the blink of an eye.
When someone is in an intensive care unit, an ICU, or a trauma ICU, it is important to know that these are places of life and death. Everything happens quickly, and so does death. It's high stakes all the time. And there are so many balls to juggle. If you've ever had a loved one in an ICU for any length of time, you know. And if you have not, you can count your blessings. You know, most people are not in ICUs for too long. I mean, that's the good news. Because either you're out of the woods of almost death and they transfer you to another part of the hospital or a rehab facility or you don't make it. ICUs are hard places. People going through crisis, it's all hard for everyone. What to text, what not to text, that's tricky too for everyone. The simplest text can comfort and soothe and send love or they can cause even more stress for the folks in the ICU and even cause fractures in relationships. None of us wants to do that. And <laughs> none of us is perfect. We are all just doing the best we can as senders and receivers, right? The issue for sending text to someone in trauma is not whether to send or not to send. Send them. The guidebook is on how. For us, the golden key is to send with words that support the person through the trauma experience. So to do that, step into the shoes of the other. Or like the members of the Hopi Indian tribe in Arizona taught me the many years I worked with them, walk in the footprints of the other. I always loved that when they said that. While it is a human truth that we all have different experiences, the ability to walk with and join with others in their pain is what can begin to unlock and loosen the trauma experience. While others might have a different experience than you or I, or they may have a similar experience, or they may even have the same experience, it's about trying to experience their experience. And this is true in life if we are to be helpful to each other. Trauma is no different. However, there are some additional understandings of the trauma experience that you might already be aware of, but if not, may help to inform you as you do step into the shoes or walk in the footprints of another in trauma. So I'd like to talk about this more in future podcasts, but let's start with this. The experience of a trauma or crisis is not isolated to the one event. 
This is true for any traumatic experience, whatever it is. It doesn't just happen and then it is over. Rather, it is an unfolding of the experience itself. Trauma can be experienced over weeks or months or years. And trauma can span generations and be passed through generations if not healed. It's true. So what you say or what you text to an individual in trauma can foster healing or it can exacerbate and add to the trauma experience. None of us wants to cause harm to others, right? But we might say or text things when we had no idea because we just didn't understand about the trauma phenomenon. I've learned a great deal about trauma since Archer's accident. One of my favorite trauma experts is Peter Levine. I love his book, Waking the Tiger. He explains the trauma experience like this. Trauma causes huge overwhelm in your body. No matter how smart or articulate or experienced or centered or holy you are, there's no escaping the overwhelm of a traumatic experience because the body is wired to respond in this way for survival. So the person living through the trauma experience is ensnared on an emotional ride of peaks and valleys over and over. And these sharp highs and low lows, which come in loops, can stay intense like that for long periods of time, which is what marks the difference between one strong emotional outburst or a tough day versus an ongoing emotional experience rooted in trauma. The emotional wave is steep in its ups and downs, and it causes overwhelming stress on the body, which has little opportunity to self-regulate. So the experience takes enormous amounts of energy from the person. One of the dangers, to name a few, is that the traumatic experience can get trapped in the body. Another danger is emotional breakdown. That said, emotional release through the body and even bodily collapse are ways that the body protects itself to stay alive and are part of the healing process. I will share more with you about that in future episodes if that interests you. And I'd welcome hearing from you about your own experiences with trauma and if this rings true for you. Please email me at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. And I would welcome hearing from you about the kinds of texts and notes and well wishes that served you best during the time you were suffering the overwhelm. I am sorry you had to suffer in that way. Please write to me. I do my best to respond. So the starting point for what to say 
or text to someone experiencing trauma is to respond and to remember that the person receiving your text is not functioning at optimal capacity. I've been teaching this neuroscience fact as part of my conflict transformation training courses for years related to decision-making. But in trauma, the conflict experience is magnified. So for those of you sending a text message, you might consider softening your texts, making them kinder and gentler and simpler. Send your text with just one goal, to express that you are thinking of them, sending your love in whatever form is authentic for you. If you need to convey information, do so simply and with care so that the person doesn't have to respond to you immediately or even at all. Here are some samples of texts I really benefited from that others sent me in the ICU. Oh, did I tell you that Billy retrieved for me from my phone and my backup over 3,000 pages of text messages just for the first nine days that have helped me to reconstruct for this podcast? It's true. Here are a few texts I love that capture the many. I can't imagine what you are going through. We are thinking about you. Or even adding their own story. I can't imagine what it is like for you. When my brother was in the ICU, I found blah, blah, helpful. We are praying for you. These kinds of texts convey empathy and also information, and they demand nothing. Here's another. I am so sorry to hear, and my heart is with you and your family. Rather than, oh my God, I am shocked about the news. How are you all? My sense is that It's the sender's words that come from a place of quiet in their hearts, a place of pause rather than a place of big or a place of their own reactivity or hurry or ego that have the deepest lasting impact. I found that words that soothed were the ones I cherished and I felt the love in those words, and I held the sender in my heart. I really did. And then there were the senders that texted me their extraordinary offers to do anything for me or my family. Now, I will caution you to not send such a text unless you can actually make good on such an offer. But if you can, and you feel so moved, it did take my breath away each time a text sender told me they would do anything, be there to get anything, to bring me anything, 
or to call them any time about anything. Those textures really moved my heart. Another helpful guide is to limit sending texts that ask questions. The simplest question that can be very appropriate in person is not easily translated in a text to a person in trauma. A text with a big open-ended question such as, how are you? It's virtually impossible for someone in trauma to answer. Why? Because they really don't know how they are. There isn't the time for the brain to process that or to even realize the extent of the trauma impact on their lives. The question, it's just too big. And the response, it's just too complicated and painful to even attempt to answer under such circumstances. And such a question runs the very real risk of putting the person in trauma in a situation to feign a false response or a shallow response just to get by at a time when everything is critical. And then there are the texts that ask things like, where are you? What hospital are you in? What is the address? Can you send me directions? Those texts can really put someone in trauma over the edge and likely wouldn't get answered anyway. They too run the risk of placing a wedge in your relationship because they just increase the feeling of overwhelm and helplessness. You might even get an angry response. And that's not what you wanted to do to your friend, right? And the answers to questions like that can be found by calling the hospital. Think of the other person. What would be helpful to them? And remember the inescapable emotional roller coaster they are on. If you do need logistical information, here is a sample of the way to turn questions like that into statements. A text I received, it was such a relief. It said, Hi, Mrs. Semft. We are coming to Atlantic Care Hospital, room 3117, and will be there in a couple hours, ETA, 2.15 p.m. We hope that is okay. We are happy to sit in the waiting room. I remember getting it, and what a wonderful reprieve. And it was sent to me by a high schooler, one of Archer's friends. All the work was done for me. It was such a kindness and so very generous. So this topic of text and what is helpful or not has been echoed by the families I began later working with as a support and advocate for the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation in a pilot program for families across the country in the early days of their crisis in ICUs when their child suffered a catastrophic spinal cord injury. I was moved by how their experiences were the same as mine over and over again. It's the trauma experience 
and they reported that texts, no matter how well intended, that asked too many questions and texts that did not soothe just added to their craziness. And my sense is that this goes for anyone in an ICU or anyone in any crisis or experiencing deep, sudden loss. So I'll close now with a few other texts I have sent to folks in ICUs that I hope gave them some reprieve or a little lift. We are bringing in your newspaper and mail. Don't hesitate to reach out for anything you need. We miss you. We've got you covered at work. Please don't worry about anything here. We all send our love. And I took a walk for you today and asked all the birds to dedicate their singing to you. And a text I send as soon as I hear about another's distress, and it always comes from my heart, is, hello, whoever it is, Louise here. I am sending love and storming heaven for you. You might want to tell people you are storming heaven for them too. You see, I asked people to storm heaven for Archer, and they did. And I remember what that felt like. Like there was a trumpet blast of cries for help to someone listening powerfully. So I tell people, I am storming heaven for them. And I am. I want them to know they are never alone. Even though our lives got darker with Archer, it was still comforting for me in those moments to hear words like that and to know so many were petitioning God for Archer. Yes, to know all those angels were singing for us and sending their love and guidance was big. And some of you might think I'm a little out there on this, but wait until I tell you more. We are never alone. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe on our site, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. If you have a story to share, please contact Louise Phipps-Semph directly, louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. She would love to hear from you. 